Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, coming to you from sunny San Diego, where I had the privilege of preaching at San Diego United Methodist Church. Um, it was a joy to be with the community there. And meanwhile, in our community at Bothell United Methodist Church, we had the amazing Sharon Ryder share a word with us. She was continuing our compassion series as she looked at compassion for others. It is a great, great, great sermon, and I hope you are blessed as I was. So check it out. Good morning, church. I am so blessed and thankful to participate in this uh, sermon series about compassion and to be with you this morning. As a person who doesn't preach on a regular basis, when I get approached by Pastor Joe, I have to say that there is often a bit of trepidation about what he is thinking as a topic to cover. Not because he's ever given me anything outrageous, but because I want to make sure it's done well, and more importantly, that God is glorified by what is said. Today, the challenge is, we're going to be talking about compassion. It's what the church does. So I hope that in talking about our friend Mephibosheth, which we will get to in just a few minutes, that you will find something new to hang on to, to challenge you and to encourage you to be compassionate followers of Christ. Now, if you've spent any time at church, it's most likely that you have heard about compassion for others in many sermons, Bible studies, Sunday school lessons, or small groups. Compassion really is all what's, what it's all about for us who are followers, followers of Christ. The best example I know of someone showing compassion for others on a regular basis. Compassion grounds our mission of becoming Christ in the community. And today, we will look at it not only as a feeling, but as an action. In my preparation for this morning, I read a study that among emotion researchers, compassion is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. I like that last part. Not only the feeling when you see the suffering, but the feeling of motivation to relieve that suffering. And it's literally suffering together. Compassion is feeling and acting. Compassion is one of the things that makes us human beings created in the image of God. In 2005, the Dalai Lama said, genuine compassion must have both wisdom and loving kindness. That is to say, one must understand the nature of the suffering from which we wish to free others, and one must experience deep intimacy and empathy with other sentient beings. For Buddhists, understanding the nature of suffering is to understand that suffering is part of what it is to be human. Suffering is a shared human experience. In another model, like self-compassion, compassion for others can be seen as involving kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. Kindness is defined as being understanding towards others who are suffering instead of being critical or indifferent towards them. Let me say that again. <laughs> it's kind of pointed. Kindness is defined as being understanding towards others who are suffering instead of being critical or indifferent towards them. Mindfulness is seen as the ability to notice another person's suffering and remain open to it without feeling so distressed that you disengage from that person. And common humanity is realizing that all humans suffer 
and that one could find oneself in the position of the sufferer if one was less fortunate. Which brings us to our scripture reading for today. Alan, you did a great job of reading all of those, those names, and I apologize for having you go through that, but you did great. Um, when I learned about Mephibosheth, uh, it just was one of those names that I just kept practicing and practicing, and now it just kind of rolls off the tongue. So again, something you all can try today. The story is a story from the Old Testament that you may have never heard before. And I've chosen the scripture not only because of the way that it exemplifies compassion, but because it includes a voice of a person who has a disability, whose part in the story is more than just someone needing healing in the physical sense. It's important for us to give voice to people with physical disabilities and or neurodiverse brains, and remember that they are not simply things that need to be fixed. They too are whole beings made in the image of God and in today's story specifically, are able to be givers and receivers of compassion. Our story centers around David before and after he becomes king, Jonathan, King Saul's son, and Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. I would encourage you to read First and Second Samuel to get all of the intrigue and political drama if you're into that sort of thing. It is quite a story. For this morning, however, I'm going to summarize. Back in 1 Samuel 18, right after David has killed the giant Goliath, David and Jonathan become friends who are bound together, life to life, making a covenant with one another. Throughout David and Jonathan's relationship, we see King Saul become jealous of and scheme against David, who has become extremely popular with the Israelites. Not to mention that Jonathan and David's loyalty to one another creates some awkward and dangerous situations for them both. In fact, in the chapters that follow, David is running and hiding from Saul on multiple occasions, and Jonathan comes to his aid. In chapter 20, when David is convinced Saul is going to kill him, something that Jonathan wasn't so sure of, but which was true, we read, Jonathan told David, I pledge by the Lord God of Israel that I will question my father by this time tomorrow or on the third day. If he seems favorable toward David, I will definitely send word and make sure you know. But if my father intends to harm you, then may the Lord deal harshly with me. And worse still, if I don't tell you right away so that you can escape safely, may the Lord be with you as he once was with my father. If I remain alive, be loyal to me. But if I die, don't ever stop being loyal to my household. So Jonathan again made a pledge to David because he loved David as much as himself. Jonathan shows compassion to David because he realizes that at any moment, he could be the one who needs compassion. In fact, they renew their covenant with one another to always promise to show compassion to one another and their households. Now we jump forward to 2 Samuel 9. King Saul and Jonathan have both been killed in battle. David is king and has established his reign for several years. Things seem to be going well for David after fighting wars, returning the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and receiving God's promise that the Messiah would come from the David's line. It's at this point we find David asking if there is anyone from Saul's family who is still alive that he could show faithful love for Jonathan's sake. 
Two things are important to note here. First, David's question seems somewhat out of place to me since in those days, any family members of the former king would have been executed to make sure there wasn't anyone to stir a rebellion against the new king. But he still asks. And secondly, the term faithful love in this case comes from the Hebrew word hesed. This is not merely a feeling or emotion, but is backed up by an action. It is loyalty and faithfulness, mercy, compassion, love, and grace. It is covenant love. It embodies God's faithfulness to God's people. I call it compassion plus. A servant in David's household confirmed that Jonathan had a son who was still alive. Back in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel, we learn that the son was only five years old when Saul and Jonathan were killed. Again, because of who he was and the imminent danger he was in once the king and his father were killed, his nurse snatched him up and fled. But as she hurried to get away, he fell and was injured and was no longer able to use his legs. In an earlier chapter, we learn that his given name was Mephebaal, but the name he was now known as was Mephibosheth, meaning from the mouth of shame. This literally adds insult to injury. Can you imagine being Mephibosheth? He was living a life of obscurity and exile, hoping to stay unknown and hidden, and now he is being summoned by the king. What must have been going through his mind? Why, after all these years, is the king asking for him now? Some commentaries suggest that he was allowed to live earlier because in his condition he would not be considered a threat. Others suggest that he was not, simply not, even thought of because of what had happened to him. A common occurrence that even happens today for people with disabilities. Even the servant who confirms Mephibosheth's existence does not name him in the text. In spite of all these things, when the king summons, you go. The scene unfolds with Mephibosheth falling on the ground in front of David and bowing low out of respect. This was probably painful and awkward for him, but he still does it. And what does David do? He calls him by his name and tells him not to be afraid and that he is going to show him faithful love or compassion plus because of the covenant David and Jonathan made to one another. In that one act, David restores everything that had belonged to Saul and his family to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's household will be provided for and have food to eat and Mephibosheth himself would eat at the king's table. Can you picture that? Someone who was not even thought of is now sitting with the king. He has gone from a no-name, poor outcast living in exile to someone who sat with the king on a regular basis. Eugene Peterson states that now Mephibosheth is recognized as a person. He is not a nameless exile. He is not a subcategory of victim. He has a name, and David goes to the trouble to learn it, Mephibosheth. From now on, Mephibosheth will be defined by covenant, Jonathan and David's, and not his name's meaning. He will get his identity from love.
Isn't that a remarkable story? Why don't we hear it more often? Now, I do have to tell you that this isn't the end of the story, but that is another sermon for another day. I do encourage you to continue reading in 2 Samuel, and you will see that covenant benefit David, that covenant benefits David on the part of Mephibosheth. This portion of it, however, certainly urges us to take pause to consider what this story has to say for us today. Over the next days and weeks, I challenge us to consider some important questions. How does the compassion we have received from others encourage and challenge us to show compassion to others? Have we made covenants with others that we could do better at keeping? In these challenging days, where am I able to show compassion to others? Our story this morning is, of course, only one in the Bible that shows what compassion can look like for us in the 21st century. Listen to what else the Bible says about being compassionate people. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Psalm 112, verse 4. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3.12. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 15. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. 1 Peter 3.8. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. A few years ago, there was a news story going around the internet and television news programs about a waiter in Houston, Texas, who refused to serve a customer which did not result in him losing his job. Instead, this waiter, Michael Garcia, was celebrated for standing up for a little boy with Down syndrome, with people stopping to shake his hand at the restaurant where regulars are made to feel like part of the family. One of those regulars, Kim Castillo, was at Lorenzo's Prime Rib in Houston last week when several waiters stopped by her table. Her five-year-old son, Milo, who has Down syndrome and whose speech is a little delayed, was showing off his new words and talking about his birthday the week earlier. A family sitting nearby asked to move away from the Castillo family's table, and a man in the group made a disparaging mark, remark against Milo. I heard the man say, special needs children need to be special somewhere else. Garcia told this to the local news channel. My personal feelings took over, and I told him, I'm not going to be able to serve you, sir. 
Castillo, who noticed the family move but didn't hear the remark, was grateful when she later found out what Garcia had done, even more so when she learned that the other family were regular customers as well. I was impressed that somebody would step out of their own comfort level and put their job on the line as well as to stand up for somebody else. She said, I know Michael did it from his heart and from reacting to the situation. I don't think he stopped about what he was doing. Garcia, who has worked at the restaurant for about two years, knew the Castillo, Castillos and has his own special way of greeting Milo. He said, normally when they arrive, I pick Milo up at the door and carry him to the table. Did you catch what the mother said? Let me read it again. I was impressed that somebody would step out of their own comfort level and put their job on the line as well as to stand up for somebody else. I know Michael did it from his heart and from reacting to the situation. I don't think he stopped and thought about what he was doing. Wow. What a simple and beautiful story of compassion. If we go back to our earlier definition of compassion, the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. This waiter did it so well. I close with these final words on compassion from Eugene Peterson. Compassion, or loyal love, is a way of life that works for the good of another, brings out the best in the other, sees behind or beneath whatever society designates a person to be, disabled, inconvenient, immigrant, a rival, worthless, dysfunctional, and acts to affirm a God-created identity. One of the ways in which the Christian community can contribute to the atrophied understandings and, un and declining capacities for love in our society is to install the David and Mephibosheth story in the canon of the world's greatest love stories. May we always be looking for ways to show compassion to others. All right, so that was our latest sermon in our Compassion series, Compassion for Others. I want to thank Sharon for uh, preaching such a powerful word and the challenge that it was to make covenant with one another, to care and really build that trust for one another as we learn to have compassion for the world and how so much of that trust impacts the ways that we have relationships. And so I hope you have a blessed week. Stick around this Thursday as we drop another episode of Bothell Amplified. But until then, have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.